Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Do you feel like you're constantly running on fumes? Do you ever frequently wonder, why am I always tired? Especially on a weekend. You're not alone. Two out of every five Americans report feeling wiped out most of the week. And research from the CDC shows that one in three adults fails to get enough sleep. That might be you this morning. We do have coffee in the lobby if you feel like you need some. Between work or school, our family and our friends, or just all of our other commitments that we kind of feel like we're juggling through life, it's easy to have this constant feeling of exhaustion and fatigue. A recent survey shows that three out of five adults say they feel more tired now than they've ever been. Other findings in that same report say 69% of respondents said working from home, hello COVID and post-COVID life, has disrupted their sleep schedule. 53% say long work hours, 46% say too much screen time were cited as the leading causes for prolonged feelings of exhaustion. Three out of five respondents said video conferences are more draining than in-person meetings. Is it starting to hit home a little bit? According to the American Institute of Stress, about 33% of people report feeling extreme stress. 77% of people experience stress that affects their physical health. 73% of people have stress that impacts their mental health. And 48% of people have trouble sleeping because of stress. Stress levels are getting worse for at least half of Americans. So half of you in this room, that's the bad news to start out, that your stress levels are likely getting worse. The Global Organization of Stress reports that 75% of Americans experienced moderate to high stress levels in the past month. Stress is the number one health concern of high schoolers. Of high schoolers, like high school, you're supposed to, like you're past the middle school awkward stage, like you're supposed to have fun. I remember having fun in high school. It's the number one concern is stress. 80% of people feel stress at work. According to the American Psychological Association, financial problems are the number one reason for stress, followed by work, personal relationships, parenting, and the busyness of daily life. It's safe to say that as a people, we are exhausted and we are stressed. But if we go back to the beginning, like the very beginning, to creation itself, it was not designed to be this way. As rest was built into the rhythm and fabric of creation by the creator. Now we're in the middle of our Sabbath practice in our gospel community that, that we're, we're looking at this idea of Sabbath and what is Sabbath and recognizing that most of us have not really observe the Sabbath. And so this next two or three weeks, we're going to go kind of through a mini-series that's going to uh, hopefully reinforce the idea of what we are looking at. But if you don't observe Sabbath, or maybe it's new to you, and, and hopefully by now most of you are starting to observe some form of Sabbath, but what has kept you from doing so? Is it busyness? Is it that the Sabbath is actually going to infringe on your work? That it infringes on your time, on your social life? Is it that something just always comes up every time I try on Sabbath, and so I feel like it's just pointless? Or for you, has Sabbath maybe become like a, a catch-up day? Like, oh, here's this day that's built into the fabric and rhythm of our, our creation, but 
I procrastinate all week long, so now I get to turn Sabbath into kind of a day to catch up. Now, we have long known that we need rest. I think the older I get, the more I realize how much rest I actually need. Research shows that resting is vital to humans' mental and physical health. And it benefits the, your immune system, your stress management, your mood. You're always like, why am I so moody? Why am I getting rest? Your decision-making, it affects your creativity. It, it affects your work productivity. So just those reasons alone, I'm convinced, like, okay, get more rest, and you'll be a, a kind of an overall better person. And so while we know we need rest, we also know this. There's a reality that I'm behind from something this previous week. Then you get caught up before the new week. And then you also probably like to look at your new week ahead and plan for that week ahead. And so you're kind of caught in between this place of like, I know I need this. It's good for me. But yet there's also this reality of, of the things that I'm carrying where I fell behind and I need to prepare, get those done to prepare for the new week. Christian therapist Dan Allender uh, gives us three reasons why we don't observe Sabbath. The first reason he gives us is pride. Is a pride grows to the degree that we prize power and it presumes that it is our possession to be used as we wish. Think about our culture. We boast about our work. We, we boast about how many emails that we have received that we have unanswered and how many days we've worked without a day off. It's like we, we wear a pride badge, right? These are like the, the water cooler conversations if those things still exist. That, that you hear and hear someone say, oh man, I've got 100 emails I've not checked. And another person's like, well, I've got 150 I haven't checked. Or, I haven't taken a day off all month. I haven't taken a day off in six months. And it's almost like, oh, I need to work harder because he just showed me up. We love showing others how important we are and how needed we are by them. Sabbath, on the other hand, it yangs us off our high horse. And for that reason, alone, few wish to dismount. It does the complete opposite. Second is distractions. We're easily distracted. Some of you will be distracted during this 30-minute message. And when it comes to Sabbath, the distractions often look something like this. It's Sunday afternoon. Suddenly you received a panic phone call or an email or a text message from a colleague who is behind on the big project that they have to present Monday, and you're part of their department, and they need your help. They need your help to get caught up. And you're like, well, I'm a good guy. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm going to help them out. And so you end up saying, you know what? Scratch my plan, scratch the rest. I'm going to help them get caught up. Or maybe if it's not a colleague, it's a family member. Or maybe it's a friend who last minute needs something. And so for most of us, Sabbath probably sounds like this. Some coffee. It's always a really good way to start. Maybe some breakfast. And then you scroll a little social media. Maybe you have a worship service that you participate in. You have some post-worship conversations. And then maybe you go to lunch. You do a little bit of shopping. You might watch some sports. I think there's a game, some kind of sports game on this afternoon. You do some work email. Maybe you get a nap in, a nice little walk. Then you do some household chores. Dinner, watch a little evening TV, and then you work a Monday schedule. Maybe you get to bed early. This is what Eugene Peterson calls, his, this version of the Sabbath he calls a bastard Sabbath. Because while that sounds like a decent day off, and I would say that many of those components are really good for Sabbath, it just doesn't quite capture rest. Third reason we don't Sabbath is fear. We are afraid to observe the Sabbath because we don't know what to do with the joy that our welcoming God intends to bless us with delight on this day. Many of us, we probably wouldn't say this, it sounds funny, but we're afraid of pleasure and delight that God has given us in the gift of Sabbath. 
And so when we take a Sabbath or we try to take a Sabbath, we actually end up feeling bad and guilty for it. Like you feel like, man, but everyone else is working or I should be catching up on, like you, you know the, the other six days of your week still exist. There's time, they're still kind of up in the air with the juggling thing. You, you, you know you haven't finished that to-do list. You ha- know you haven't finished your taxes. You know you haven't finished whatever it might be. And so we feel bad and guilty, which is why it's easier to turn Sabbath into a day that we do what? We binge watch Netflix while scrolling through social media on our phone and occasionally checking the work email on our laptop. And then we kind of use that and say, well, it's like I didn't do my normal stuff, but I did all these other things. But as I've watched many peers, many friends, many family members burn out, it's causing me to become increasingly convinced that Sabbath, while the most pridefully broken commandment in Scripture, again, while the most pridefully broken commandment in Scripture, it might be the number one practice needed in our lives, our churches, and our world today. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus told us the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The point, the Sabbath was not instituted to enslave people. And hopefully we'll unpack this over the next coming weeks in, in our Gospel community on Wednesday nights. But I think for me, growing up hearing the idea of the Sabbath, it sounded more enslaving. Like, we're not allowed to do some of the fun things that I want to do because of this thing called the Sabbath. But God created it to actually benefit people. It's, it's a blessing. It's a day of, of delight. And God made Sabbath for all of creation. Male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, believer, unbeliever, animals, the ground itself. He made Sabbath for all of creation. And so it's not merely just the cessation of work. It's turning from our work that we normally do to something entirely different from what we normally call rest. And so in many ways, I think the problem with Sabbath is how we define the word and our understanding of the word rest. Which is why we're going to camp out in Genesis 2, 2 through 3 this morning. So Genesis 2, 2 through 3, of course, it's going to be behind me. Go to the next slide here. But if you have a physical copy of Scripture, it's pretty easy. It's really early on. Just Genesis 1 and skip over to chapter 2. We'll be in verses 2 and 3. And the main point of our sermon this morning is that God builds rest into the rhythm of the fabric of creation. So Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3 says this. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, these verses bring to a conclusion the first section of Genesis, the opening section of the creation account, where it's eloquently 31 verses where God has created the heavens and the earth and eventually man and woman. And he's completed that process of ordering creation. And then we find him right out the gate, chapter two, resting. But him resting in no no way implies that he was weary from the labor. Rather, he is hinting at the very purpose of creation itself. Gordon J. Winham says this in his commentary. He says, here, God is described as resting on the seventh day. But the narrator clearly implies that mankind, mankind, made in the divine image, is expected to copy his creator. Indeed, the context implies that a weekly day of rest is as necessary for human survival as food for the body. An emphasis that seems to have been forgotten even amongst Christians today. I want to say that, that the kind of middle part, that 
The context implies that a weekly day of rest is as necessary for human survival as food for the body. I guarantee that most of you had breakfast this morning, and if you didn't have breakfast, you're going to have lunch, or at least dinner, because you know that you need to eat in order to survive. And so the point getting here that a day of rest, different from a day off, which we won't get into all that today, but over the coming weeks, is as necessary for human survival as food is for the body. So on the seventh day, God rested. And it's on this same basis as God that we are to rest. Now, the word rest or rested is prominent in this passage. But God, the creator of the universe, does not rest because he is tired, which means that the word has to have a different meaning than maybe our understanding of rest. Because most of us think, man, I want to rest because I'm, I'm tired. Right? I've worked all day. Uh, maybe, maybe it was out in the yard or just at your job. Mentally, you're exhausted being on a computer screen, so you want to rest. But this, this takes on kind of a different, a different word for us here. One commentary pointed out that rest here also doesn't imply a cessation of activity, which is why many Jewish commentators suggest that God created the Hebrew word for rest on this day, which means a joyous response, tranquility, or delight. Dan Allender, on his book on Sabbath, said, God didn't create in the sense of taking a nap or chilling out. Instead, God celebrated and delighted in his creation. About the idea of celebrating something, delighting in something. And that God entered the joy of his creation and set it free to be connected but separate from the artist. Alan Ross says the culmination of the account of creation is the seventh day. God completed his work of creation and he rested. And so the idea is more of a celebration of the completion of creation. Then he entered into this day of rest to celebrate it, to look at it and say, This is good. Now I want to celebrate what I have created. Now in verse 3, it tells us, it says, God blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy. When you, when you bless something and declare it holy, you're, you're setting it apart for a special use. So he's got the seventh day, and he, he sets it apart because it's commemorating the completeness of his work. And what was done on the Lord's day was to be set apart for worship and service to the Lord. Because the people of God are to participate in this day and to the glory of God and the glory of his creation that he has prepared for them. And so God looked at his creation. He looked around at all that he had created and he declared it to be good and he blessed it. And this is the reason that I believe many of us struggle with Sabbath. It's hard for us to believe it's hard for us to accept that God would have a full day of wonder, delight, and joy. Especially after we spend the other six days working our rear ends off. Right? Like you just work so hard. You're so tired. You're so exhausted. The dailiness of life, parenting, the, the emails you receive, and just on and on and on. That God would, then he would suddenly like interrupt that with this day that we're just supposed to have joy and delight, it's hard for us to accept that. It's hard for us to believe that God actually loves us enough to give us this as a gift. And as much as we long for that, right? Think about all the other six days. We long for that joy. We long for that freedom. We long for that rest. But for some reason in our society, in our culture, we almost like trap ourselves in this imprisonment of work and exhaustion. It's almost like 
you know what? I, even if we recognize God's given us this day, we also recognize that on the other end of that day, we re-enter the other six days of the week. And so it's almost like, that's going to set me behind even more, which would be the trust in God. That's going to set me behind even more. So why even go there? Why not just push through it and make it another day that I just continue the daily grind? Because if I take this day and I joy and delight, I'm going to be that much further behind, especially when you look at society and culture around us, that you'll be behind from them. But this is why Sabbath is made for us as a gift. It looks entirely different than the other six days. My friend Wes Hughes, who most of you have met, um, Wes may be here in a couple of weeks as, as a guest speaker, so you guys are going to a uh, much-needed break from me. But, but Wes, he coaches me in, in, in ministry and church planting, and he did his doctor, doctorate on Sabbath. And so one of the things he really helped me grasp and understand is the difference between a day off and a Sabbath. Like, you work really hard to get that day off, right? And you go, man, I deserve this. I earn this. Sabbath, we don't work for. Sabbath, we don't deserve. Sabbath was a gift that God bestowed upon us. It was a gift that is given to us. And so it should be even treated different. I'm going to let him kind of speak to that, but it should be even treated differently than that day off. But it's a gift for us, and it looks entirely different from the other six days. Dan Allender, I know I keep quoting this guy, but his book on Sabbath is so good. He said, it is the queen of all days. The day in which division, destitution, and death are put aside to celebrate our union with God. So kind of all those things you carry in life, you kind of set them on the side for a minute. For a minute, The abundance of his love and the wild hope of the coming kingdom it is a day of holy fiction, a day when the promise of God is fulfilled on a stage where we rewrite the script and take the roles we most want to act for his glory. Now, for some of you, that might mess with your notion of Sabbath because it almost sounds too good to be true. The queen of all days? The day above all other days, like it trumps every other day. It almost messes with your notion. And you think, if that were actually true, which it is, but if that were actually true, because you may not believe it yet, then you would approach that day with much greater anticipation. You would look forward to that day all those other six days. Like you couldn't wait for it. Because you know on that day, it's a day full of worship and delight and joy. It's like an upcoming vacation. Some of you think about your vacation. You probably know when it is this year. It's June, July, August. Maybe it's you know, winter vacation because it's gray outside and you want to get where there's some sun. But you look forward to that vacation because you know it's going to look different than the other weeks of the year. You know that you're going to stop what you normally do. You're going to rest in a different way and you're going to delight. And hopefully you're going to worship. So Sabbath, think of it like a mini vacation that we're given on a weekly basis where, where we get that day to stop, rest, delight, and worship. But imagine if you finally make it to your week of vacation. You've been looking forward to it. You've been planning it all year, but you spend the week doing what you did every other week leading up to vacation. You eat the same meals. You watch the same shows. You still go to the office. You, this is why I hate staycations, by the way. You still you check emails, and you continue your routine. That sounds like a really bad vacation. I'm not saying you have to have money and leave town to go on a good vacation, but that just sounds like a really bad vacation because it sounds like you just did what you normally do in every other week of your life. Most of you know that Andrea and I were privileged to take our 15th wedding anniversary trip to Hawaii. Highly, highly, highly recommend it if you ever get a chance to go. And we stopped. Trust me, we rested. We delighted and we worshiped in a way that we normally do not do in our daily life in Portland. But imagine if we got to Hawaii and we just stayed in the room and we just watched Netflix, checked some emails, Texted you guys, 
and they take out from McDonald's. You laugh because that sounds crazy. You wouldn't fly to Hawaii and do the same thing, which we don't even eat McDonald's, but uh, do the same thing you do here. But it's the same way we treat Sabbath if we treat it as any other day of the week. That God has given me this gift, but I'm just going to waste it away. This really ought to be your favorite day of the week. And if you're new to Sabbath, that's okay. We're all new to practicing. And once again, I'm not here saying I'm the example because I am learning this myself and failing forward. I can share afterwards some of my frustrations on my Sabbath this past week. But it's a day that we are to rejoice in God and rest in our relationship with him. And the rest and trust that God is working in spite of me not working. That, that God still has his world under his control and he doesn't need me to, to, to in, in this day. And so if you delight in God throughout the week, Sunday with God's people becomes your favorite time. It's the culmination celebration of the whole purpose and drive of your life. Now don't mishear me. The point is not the day. The point is not the day of the week that you take to refocus and rest and remember the gospel. So let's look again at these verses. It says, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work they had done in creation. God the creator, controller of the universe, stopped and Sabbath. He built this into the rhythm of the fabric of creation. This is why we work six days. We stop and Sabbath for one. Now it comes as no surprise that every single society in the history of the world civilization has been built around a seven-day work week. Even though the week is the, the one unit of time that's not tied to the movement of the stars. The day is tied to the Earth's 24-hour rotation, the month to the lunar's, moon's lunar cycle, and the year to the Earth's journey around the sun. The seven-day week is not. It's built out of God's own life rhythm. The last time there was a serious attempt to change the seven-day work week was made in 1793 in the French Revolution, where they attempted a 10-day week to up productivity. Can you imagine a 10-day week that we feel exhausted already? Let's double your work week. Now, what was the result? Like you think, man, their productivity went through the roof. It actually plummeted and worse. There was a rash of suicides and spread of mental illness. It did the complete opposite. It, this is what we, like a classic definition of a backfire. It backfired. It did completely opposite what they were hoping to do. But if you look around our world, if you look around even just our city, in many ways, our generation is reliving the French Revolution all over again due to a kind of vast conspiracy of modern life. It's throwing us out of any kind of rhythm. God built this rhythm into our culture or into our creation. But modern life is doing anything it can to throw us out of that. It started way back with electricity, which we're thankful for, and then cars, which we're also thankful for, even though in our city we pretend we're not, there's still a lot of cars. Alarm clocks, right? We have these things that wake us up. Wi-Fi, right? That's probably more, more relevant, uh, relevant to our generation. And now smart everything. It's created a world where we continue going and going and going without ever stopping. It just continues to go. But as we've seen this morning in this passage, God created us and the earth itself into a rhythm where we stop and rest. Sounds too good to be true. There's a rhythm between day and night. 
between waking and sleeping. There's a rhythm between the noise and activity of spring and summer and the quiet dormancy of fall and winter. And within our own bodies, there's a rhythm of the breath as we inhale and we exhale. And when we lose this sense of rhythm, a pace, a back and forth, we lose part of our humanity. You and I are not machines. We were never meant to be machines. We have a soul, and it was not created to move 24-7. And when we live without Sabbath, we go against the rhythm that God, the creator himself, built into our body and into the fabric of all creation. And when you don't Sabbath, you suffer some really negative consequences. Burnout, right? That's a, that's a term we hear a lot, right? Burnout, stress, bad immune systems, brain fall. It kind of sounds like COVID was something to do with not resting. Frayed relationships, distance from God. But when we do Sabbath, we reap the reward because Sabbath is one of the most profound tastes of grace. Once again, I think that's why it's hard for us to accept that. We have trouble accepting God's grace that God, that God bestowed upon us. But this idea of this gift, that we didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it, but he's given it to us. But the only way we can make use of the Sabbath with joy and delight is as we, in, as we look at the day the way that God intended us to look at it. You know, you guys hear me sometimes talk about like putting on our lenses versus God's and like put, looking at it through God's lenses and that it's a day we get to stop. We get to rest. We get to delight. We get to worship. According to Colossians 2.17, the Sabbath is a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. The Sabbath observance was associated with redemption in Deuteronomy 5.15. We might get into these passages in the, in the coming weeks, where Moses stated, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that your Lord, your God, brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see, the Sabbath was a shadow of the redemption that would be provided in Christ. It symbolized the rest from our work as an entrance into the rest that God provided by his finished work on the cross. And so the only way to have a relationship with God is by receiving what God has done for you. And one of those gifts he's done for you and given you is the Sabbath, but ultimately what he's done for you as well is in the gospel. It's in the gospel that Christ has absorbed all of your sin and offered that to you as a free gift. They said, come to me as you are. And when you receive that gift, you'll find that you have a craving to know God and to be with him. You see, Christianity begins not with anything you do for God like coming to church and checking off a list and reading your Bible and all these things, but by receiving what God has done for you. And so in many ways, our, our, when you look at our world and maybe our, our culture, and let's just focus on our city, they struggle as a people to receive what God has done for them in the gospel. But then us as the people of God struggle to do what, accept what God has done for us in the Sabbath. And when you see that, you find that God changes you into the kind of person he wants you to know him and remember him and be around his people. And so if you don't know God, the invitation is to not be more diligent in church and not to work harder to earn some kind of acceptance from God, but to receive the free gift that he offers. He says, come to me as you are. And so we have to take one day a week, remember two things. God's creation, God's redemption. In God's creation, God created all for himself. We find our delight in him. He's to be at the center. 
He's the one who has everything in its place. It's properly ordered. When you think about the things that you're juggling in life, he's got it all under his control. And then remember God's redemption. That even though we sin, every single one of us, every single man, woman, and child, that God loved us anyway. There's nothing you've done that can make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. He loves you because he loves you. And he sought you out and he made himself known to us. And so the invitation this morning is twofold. It's, it's one, receive that. Receive God's grace in your life. If you've never received it, receive it for the first time. If you have received it, receive it as a reminder. Because if you're like me, I need that reminder. We actually aren't responding in communion this morning, but we, we normally do most weeks. And that's, that's part of the why, that we need that reminder. Because I messed up this week. I don't know about you, but I messed up. But God says, come to me anyway. But I still love you. That there's forgiveness. That I look at you as my beloved son, my beloved daughter. And then also the response for us to remember this gift of the Sabbath that God has given us. May we be the people who are countercultural in, in the way that we live and practice life as followers of Jesus. And one of those ways, I think, is the Sabbath. It sounds almost simple, yet it's really hard and profound. And that as we live that, that may we show the world a different way from the constant grind and the busyness of life. So let me pray for us. And then we'll respond this morning. God of heaven, we come to you. We thank you for the gift that you have given us in Sabbath. God, we repent from buying into the culture of constant busyness, constant work, feeling like we don't deserve this gift that you have given us. And so, God, we thank you for this, this day of delight. For many of us in this room, that day is today. For others, it may be a different day. But, God, a day where we stop, we focus on you, we rest, we delight in your creation and your good things you've given us, and we worship. God, we thank you for the gift of your salvation. Something we didn't earn, something we didn't deserve, but God, you looked at us in, in the state that we were in and you offered us a way to new life. God, we thank you for that. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.